Today's words from the hills reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Good morning, everyone. Um, time is really stretched, so I'm just going to go straight inside. Exodus chapter 17. Starting from verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. To tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did, and Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, Hor, went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So that he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hor supported his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar there and called it, The Lord is my banner, or in another way, Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The long story is this. There was a war between Israel and Amalek. And who was Amalek? Amalek was Esau's half-son. As a result, Amalek had a lot of reasons to be bitter against God's people. Because Esau was supposed to have the birthright. But Jacob took the birthright. And not only was Esau's real sons now entitled to the birthright, so in a disadvantaged place, Amalek was the disadvantaged of the disadvantaged. So they were very bitter against the people who took away the inheritance that could have been theirs or their legitimate brother's own. So Amalek really hated Israel. So Amalek did a lot of atrocious things. In fact, I was looking for a movie on the battle of Amalek to show you guys. I mean, the amount of bloodshed in any of the ones I found was too much. It's too bad. I can't show it. It was too, just too bloody. There's no good way to tell the story of Amalek. It was a bloody, bloody story. And how did they deal with the children of Israel? They went from behind as the children of Israel journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. First of all, if they asked them for right of passage, they refused. And then so they had to go a longer route because going through their territory, because they are, they are cousins, half cousins or something like that, right? Going through their territory would have taken them fast to the promised land, but they had to go on a longer route. And guess what Amalek did? Amalek went behind them. They didn't attack them directly. The ones who were sick, the ones who were weak, 
the ones who are straddlers, the ones who are falling behind, you know, because on a journey, you know, how many of you have done marathons before? They, they, who are the people in front? The Kenyans, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Ethiopians. These are the strong ones. By the time you get to the popular side of, of a marathon, you see, and then there are some people who are just walking behind the marathon. Everybody else is finishing three hours. They are finishing seven hours, something like that, like just trekking the whole journey through. Those people who were weak, who were sickly, Amalek just took them from behind and killed them. And this thing hurt God. So God made a promise, I will utterly wipe out Amalek from the earth. This same Amalek were the same people who made Saul to fall as a king. The same Amalek was the same place where Mordecai had to fight in the time of Esther. The same Amalek. Because that guy, what's his name? Haman. Was, was the daughter, was, was the son of the queen of the king. Uh, this story is getting complicated. <laughs> so, Agag was the king of Amalek who Saul spared. So when Saul was sparing Agag, his queen ran away and gave birth to Haman. Haman became a problem for Israel again. Yeah. So God said, the last scripture said, I will fight Amalek from generation to generation. This thing they did so pained me that I would deal with Amalek. And Amalek represented now a spirit that is anti-God. That is designed to frustrate any move of God. That is designed to frustrate what God wants to do in people. Somebody is burdened and growing as a believer. Someone else will come and sweep them off their path. And hurt them in such a way that they cannot follow after God again. That is Amalek. So, when we look at it from a natural mind... Why does God want to kill a people? That is genocide. Why does God ask Saul to wipe out a whole tribe of people, mother, children? Because Amalek represents a spirit that God wants to root out. Amalek is no more in a human being today. Today, Amalek still exists. But is now a spiritual being that God wants to uproot. So when you operate with man's wisdom, therefore, when you look at Amalek, you will say, Amalek is not a bad guy. But when you get into God's wisdom, you're going to see the antecedents of the sedition and the spirit that constantly takes God's people and hurts them and breaks them and never permits them to arrive. And that is why God fights Amalek. Do you understand it? So, in this war, there were two fronts. Moses represented the spiritual and the faith part of the war, while Joshua represented the action and physical part of the war. This war was fought on multiple dimensions. Amalek represents the eternal enemy of the people of God, a type of spirit that God wants to remove from generation to generation. Amalek is seizing power in the, in, the, in the natural. 
God's nomadic people were no match for Amalek's established armies, their cavalry, and the structure of Amalek, they were very well organized. In all the movies I saw, Amalek was very strong. Amalek was very powerful. Amalek was so formidable that these people knew that this war was not just a war of bow and arrows. They need something more than that. They had to go into a dimension because Amalek was actually occultic as well. Do you understand? When you pour out blood, guess what? You're activating occultic covenants. And that's what we don't know about Nigeria. Some of these people who kill in Nigeria are not just killing because they like killing. They must do something to activate covenants. Their sacrifice of blood of people's lives is giving them power. That was the spirit of Amalek. Amalek was a demon-sucking, blood-sucking, angry tribe. But they were very organized and calculated. You know, they had strategy. They had plans. They had systems they created. They had a way in which they were going to attack Israel. And they were way more powerful because they had a built city. And the children of Israel were out in the wilderness. When you have a built city in warfare, in ancient warfare, what does that mean? It means that you have a porch, an elevated platform from where you, you can have the different kind of warfare people, the people who throw stones into the battle. How many of you watch war films? Anyone here has watched 300? Yeah, yes. Those battle movies. You see, oh, oh, it was Lord of the Rings. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so good. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining it. Like, these guys who sit in their city place and throw fire bombs. The people come in the wilderness. So the children of Israel were like sitting dogs for Amalek. So Moses knew that it wasn't only about Joshua fighting in the valley of life. It needs more than that. Sometimes we feel like our warfare is all physical. Sometimes we feel like our warfare is just what we can do. So people tell you, hustle more. Just grind harder. People tell you, push more. But there are times when the warfare is beyond the natural. There are just times when the warfare is beyond what you can see. There are times when what is coming against you is past your pay grade. There are times when everything you've done before doesn't qualify you for this hour. You enter into warring seasons in your life, in your family, when you know that you're not pre prepared for this. So Moses knew about this. And Moses sent the, the, the physical effort out into the valley, but Moses remained on the mountain. And the Bible said, at every time Moses lifted up his, I felt tempted to bring a rod today. A long rod. Yeah, I felt him to just go and get a rod then just bring it to church. Just every time Moses lifted up that rod, what happened in the valley? Israel decimated the Amalekites. Every time Moses lifted up that rod, he connected to heaven, the rod of God's authority. He stood. So sometimes, every time Moses got weak, Amalek just overran the people. I had to close my eyes when I was watching one of the movies. Amalek just overran the people. So Moses had to do something. He got tired at some point because age was not on his side. He was close to 80 at this time or 
or more than 80, right? Because it was 40, 40, and then let the people for another 40 years. We are at the edge of Jordan, so he was probably like 100, over 100. At that time, Moses' hands was tired. So Aaron and Hall got a stone and got Moses to sit on it. And then Aaron on one side, Moses on the other side, they held up the hands of the man of God. And as long as there was something going on in the spirit, they were winning in the natural. As long as there was something going on in the spirit, they were winning in the battle of life. As long as there was prayer going on, the business was doing okay. As long as there was warfare in the spirit, the family problem was being resolved. As long as the presence of God was being activated, the glory of God was being birthed. As long as the people connected to God, their work was praying. As long as they journeyed with God, Life became easy for them. As long as they opened up themselves to God, as long as Moses remained with his hands lifted up, the warfare favored the people of God. And we know that aspect of the story. I just want to bring out a few points. This warfare was about mantle. Who had authority? It wasn't just about the people who were fighting and the actors in the, in the field. There are some people who were sent by God, chosen by God. Who is that man chosen by God? Joshua. Who is that man chosen by God? Moses. Every time Moses carried his mantle up, there was victory. Every time Moses carried his anointing up, there was victory. Every time Moses carried his mandate up, there was victory. So it was about the mantle. It was about the authority God gave. It wasn't just about your capability. It wasn't just about what you knew. It was about God working in the affairs of men. The battle of Amalek is the battle of our lives. And there are Amalekites in us. When we listen into God, we win Amalek. When we hold on to God, we win the battle of Amalek. The second thing about the battle of Amalek was that there was a transfer of generations. Moses was the old, sitting on the mountain, but there was a new. Do you know the partnership of the old and the new is what God needs for this hour? Many times the old will condemn the new and say these new people, their worship is not sweet, their, 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 their church is just dry, they will just condemn everybody who is young, and feel like, oh, we are the old, we are the doyens of the Christian faith, we are the theological accurate people, we are the powerful ones. You, have you heard Presbyterian? Have you heard Baptist Convention? Have you heard Assemblies of God? We are the deep, we are Christ Apostolic Church. We are the deepest people. We are deeper life. Have you heard the redeemed Christ? The redeemed just know how to do it. We mock the new people. Who are all these mushroom churches? We call them. We mock the new people. The old constantly fights the new. And the new also look at the old and say, dry. No power, no interestedness, just old, just brittle. Do you know that God's plan is to move from generation to generation? God uses everything. God uses the old, he uses the young. And in this battle, there was the swiftness of youth. There was the power in Joshua. There was the sharpness of the edge of his sword. There was capacity in Joshua. There was something Joshua carried. He carried accuracy, precision of arrow shooting. Joshua was good and his boys were powerful. 
but he knew that he needed something more than that. In this battle, it was a transfer of generation to generation. Number three point to remember from the battle of Amalek. Amalek is, yes, when you enter the battle of Amalek, there will be blood. Say to somebody, there will be blood. It was not going to be a clean operation. Some people are going to die on both sides. Do you know, when we do work on the streets, right, part of what, part of what frustrates you, I don't know, you know, when you do work on the streets, some days you lose. Those days when somebody just, you know, young girls you've been working with, just so much promise, just, just slips away. You know, like a drug addict, you're working with them, you know, part of working Freedom Foundation before that we used to, like one of the guys, his name was, what's his name again? Moses was his name, right? He just, what's his name? He just, he just died. Just went to the old, he had stopped being an area boy, had been brought out in the street. Monkey was his name, yes. And he just went to the wrong area and then he got killed by the old gang. Good, didn't see like he had changed or anything. They're like, as far as concerned, they're just a cleaned up area boy, like, we don't care. They killed him in the other side because he was trying to make peace and go to the other side. So sometimes it becomes discouraging. In the general battle, you will lose some things, but you will win the war. Write that down. In the general battle against Amalek, you will lose some things, but you will win the war. You will win the war. Say, I will win the war. I can't hear you this morning. Say, I will win the war. You will lose some things, but you will win the war. Do you know some people will lose a business? You may lose a job, you may lose an opportunity, but the war will be won by you. In the end, God will establish you. In the end, you see the victory of God. In the end, you see the glory of God coming upon you. Amalek is bloody. Amalek is life. Amalek is real. Amalek is vicious. But with the glory of God, we will win the war. Thanks be to God who always brings us into triumph. Then something else. God says, make a banner. Put it up and said, I am your Jehovah Nisi. <laughs> no, no, no. People don't understand that. I am your Jehovah Nisi. I am the Lord, your banner. I've gone and fought on your behalf already. When Moses' hand is up, I think some angels were coming down to the battlefront, pushing back the enemies. These people on their cavalry. The angels were coming to back up the... When Moses' hands was up, he was calling angelic hosts. He was calling visions of people who were not seen. They were entering into battle on the side of God's people. When Moses' hands was up, he was declaring the glory of God. When Moses' hands was up, he was speaking about the power of the divine in the natural. And God was sending his troops of angels, sending forth armies to march alongside his people. And in the end, he gives them victory. God is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who gives us victory. He is our Jehovah Nisi. He will cause you to win your battles in the earth. 
He will lead you into victory parade. He will show you the banner of righteousness. He will lead you into every war in the name of Jesus Christ. Amalek represented that which was born of jealousy, strife, self-glory, greed, deprivation, plotting, and scheming for number one. God does not need a man to show himself. He needs a people to bring into the new. What God was doing was trying to birth a nation. Amalek was trying to show themselves. Do you understand? In these new times, many people are trying to show themselves. But God is looking for a nation to birth the new. God is trying to bring about something new upon the earth. He's looking for a people who are going to agree with him and he will take them into a new season and birth something with them. Say amen. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. It takes wisdom to build a house, the message version says. It takes wisdom to build a house and understanding to set it on a firm foundation. It takes knowledge to furnish his room with fine furniture and beautiful drapes. It's better to be wise than to be strong. Intelligence outranks muscle any day. Strategic strategic planning is the key to warfare. To win, you need a lot of good counsel. So God was saying about going to war that wisdom is better than strength. That's why we talked about wisdom today. Because it's what we're going to. Wisdom is better than strength. So Amalek had strength. God's people have divine intelligence. They knew that they had to go up in the spirit and cut off Amalek first before they can win in the natural. Wisdom, God's wisdom is better than strength. God's wisdom is better than your capabilities and your capacity. I know there are many people who are saying these days that you should be intentional. For you to be intentional, you have to be know what you're intentional about. So intentionality alone can actually ground you in man's wisdom. Do you understand? You can just be taking an idea and say, okay, I'm deliberately going to walk with this. I'm going to wake up at 6 o'clock every day. I'm going to grind hard until 12 midnight. By the time you finish at 12 midnight, you are tired. I don't do it again another day. Do you understand? The power to drive your life by your own ability is painful. The power to do things in your own understanding is hard. This is actually not what God planned for you. God planned a victory parade. God planned something sweet for you. Some people are not hearing me this morning. I'm just getting a revelation of it. God planned something awesome for you. God plans a walk. God plans music, life, joy. God plans capacity for you. This whole plotting and calculating. I started my life when I gave my life to him. You know, I was a Christian for many years. Until the day I went to the hospital and my dad was dying. He was lying in the hospital bed and I heard a voice in my spirit. You're not going to meet him. I was taking my daughter back to school. I had come to see him on his sick bed. You're not going to meet him when you come back. So you, you have how many years? 30 years? What are you going to do? I heard you have 30 years. What are you going to do? 
That's when I lost my chills. From then, everything started going upside down. I started telling everybody the truth. I, started, I stopped being a man pleaser. I entered into a place where I entered into the, the dance of the divine. If I hear God speak, I will move. I'm ready to stop church any day. I'm a madman. I've taken my family, to uprooted them from Nigeria, taken them to another country to go and be a missionary before. I'm crazy. And I will do it again. If God wants me to be in Iraq, I will go. If God wants me to, to leave here and go to the village, I will do it. I'm crazy for God. And I'm not even playing. Somebody wrote me last week and said, oh, haven't you heard corona and uh, uh, coronavirus? With, don't you think you should shut down church? That was last week. I said to him, he said to me, I said to him, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. He said to me, I'm walking by faith, but we have to be practical. I said, to, and, and I'm just the same place with you. I said, no, you and me are not on the same wavelength. We are not the same. We are not the same. And you are not walking by faith. You're walking by fear. I will go ahead and do the Sunday service while you will be crawling with fear under your duvet. We're not the same. We're not the same. I've lost my chills. I've gone crazy for God. We're not the same. We're not the same. If Christianity is just something convenient for you, we're not the same. That's why I keep driving at night and at day because God wants me to enter into a dance with him. And when I hear about the dance of God, God told me, many of my children are broken. Many of my young ones are hurting. God told me, many people in the house of God sit in the church, but they don't know me. They don't know me. They walk with carnal knowledge. They don't know me. They sit in churches all, all around, but they don't know me. Take people on a journey with me. Take them somewhere different. Take them with me into a place where their eyes can be opened and they can have the power by themselves not to wait for someone to lay hands on them that from inside they can generate spirituality. Raise for me a people who will know their God, who will walk in power and authority, who will carry the divine as normal in their everyday life. Come on a journey with me. That's what we are about. We're not about just making things nice. We're actually about finding God. You want to find God? Come with me on the journey. You want to see God? Come with me on this journey. You want to understand God's mind? Come on this journey. Let us go. Let us go into God. Amen. It takes wisdom to build a house. It takes understanding to fill all the rooms with good stuff. You need knowledge and understanding to fill the rooms with functional pieces. You need This message is actually like this and like that. I want you to get it. I've gone to the battle of Amalek. I'm bringing it into wisdom. God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. Do you guys understand this? So God says, the second place, he says, it takes wisdom to build a house. Which wisdom is God talking about? His wisdom and understanding to fill the rooms. So, have you ever seen somebody who is very rich? but doesn't have understanding. And you wish to see some of those people in Kano. I was living in Kano for a few years. And we'll go to the house. The entire house is red inside. Right? Like, how can you in a red house? (laughs) 
Are you trying to do something occultic in this house? <laughs> Don't you understand that um, you need earthly colors to relax you? So you can have the money and billions and the rug, that red rug was from Patia. You can just think like, oh, everything must be red. Curtains from Arabia. Perfumes from somewhere. Very rich. That, that red room is probably $200,000 worth of goods of red. <laughs> but it's designed to jar you. Everything said there will just make your soul scream. Ah! <laughs> it's called Money Miss Road. There's the people who are so rich, but everything they wear doesn't look good on them. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to shade anybody. You know, that's not my objective. But you can have simplicity. Like, I can't tell you I don't have any shoes. I can tell you. You want, you want some true disclosure? These trousers I'm wearing, I bought it from Joss for 7K. You guys understand? Most of my clothes you see where people say I'm fashion forward are Primark. You understand? 12 pounds. I'm dead cheap. But it's not the clothes that wear the man, it's the man that wear the clothes. <laughs> Excellence cannot be bought. <laughs> Guess what? You don't need a million dollars to look like a million pounds. <laughs> By the wisdom of God, a house is built. By understanding all his rooms are full of beautiful things. By knowing God, you can fill your life with power that the earth has never seen. You can fill your life with qualities that men have never known. You can fill your tomorrow with the glory of God. You can know God for yourself by catching the wisdom of God. wisdom of God is more powerful and that's why the devil does everything to take you away from the wisdom of God. The devil wants you to fight with your own strength with your own energy, with your own understanding. The devil wants you to fight the battles of life by take the battles and fight it by yourself. No, get into God's wisdom. Tell someone that. Get into God's wisdom. Preach to someone, preach to someone this morning. Say my brother, I just want to preach to you about the wisdom of God. There is a grace that comes from God. There's wisdom that comes from the divine place. There's heavenly download that fills the lives of men. Say to them, get the wisdom of God. Get the wisdom of God. You need. I saw some of you are not talking. You are afraid of each other, right? Tell her, tell her. You in blue, tell her. Tell that woman sitting next to you. Tell her, get the wisdom of God. Don't be afraid of her. Get the wisdom of God. That's what you need. Get the wisdom of God. Get the wisdom of God. Don't use your ideas. 
your ideas will fail you in this day that we are in. There is a, there's no lack of ideas. Everybody has hundreds of ideas. And right now in the, in the UK, and develop what everybody is saying to each his own. Have you heard that? That means you hold your own idea, I hold my own idea. No, 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 no. There is the idea that is accurate. It's called the wisdom of God. Get the wisdom of God. It's not to each his own. It's to the wisdom of God we live. In the wisdom of God, we get our direction. We get our inspiration. We get what to do from the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is more powerful. I know it will cost you a lot. I know some days you will cry about this because you have to let go of things that you don't want to let go. I know people have hurt you and you don't want to let them go. You don't want to forgive them because in the natural, they deserve it. You want to hurt them back. You want to crush them. And do you know the, the one, like somebody was giving an example in our group. Somebody just did something against her. She has all the powers. In fact, people were telling her, just give us the phone number and the address of the person. We'll take care of it for you. And the wisdom of God says, do not let her go. And you know the day you're making that decision, you'll be crying. You're not crying for weakness. You're crying because you have so much power. You can crush the person to paste. But the wisdom of God says, no, don't do nothing. And guess what? The whole world will be clapping for you and say, go. Be shrewd. The children of this world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. That's not what it means. Use the wisdom of God. Use the wisdom of God. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Pushing towards the end now. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 1,200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. First Chronicles 12.32 From the tribe of Issachar there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the time. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Issachar was one of the, small, one of the smallest tribes in Israel. So, King David had come to a point when he had to become king in Hebron and he was marshalling his troops. He was setting up his army at the beginning of a new administration in Hebron. And he began to count the tribes and what everyone was going to do donate. So, they got this account got to an innocuous tribe called Issachar. Other tribes had hundreds of thousands of people. Okay, if you read further down, you will see the tribe of Manasseh had 18,000 people. The, type, the tribe of Ephraim had 20,800 people. The tribe of Zebulun had 50,000 people. The tribe of Asia had 40,000 people. But the tribe of Issachar had how many? Oh, you guys are not following this story. 200! So if it was quantities, they were not much. But this tribe had revelation. They had understanding. They did not just use their number or their energy. They leaned into insight from God. They had a quality of divine insight. This tribe of Issachar were just few people. You know, there are, there are tricks to grow church. 
You understand? There are tricks to grow church. And I've done big church before. There are tricks to grow church. And we used to implement those skills. Bring a big guest speaker with a big name from America. Bring the best musician in town who everybody loves their worship music. Do you know, I'm friends with all of these top musicians. Can I tell you something about them? They are stretched. Have you ever gone around Nathaniel Bassi or Tim Godfrey? They are tired to the bone. Everybody tells them, rest after my program. They are booked back to back to back. This is not God's design that one man will bring the glory. But in the quest of churches trying to expand, they go after the names that everybody knows. These are not bad people. These are people who are doing good, trying to do their best for God. But then the church is creating this demand system because the church itself is trying to use marketing principles and development strategies. The sons of Issachar looked into God and had what God wanted to do. They knew God's plan. They had revelation of what God wanted to do. They had insight into the plans of God. While other people were bringing 50,000, they brought 200. <laughs> I cannot explain this thing, right? So everybody else is gathering troops. How many, how many trucks do you need to carry 50,000 people? Verses 200. I think it was Socrates who said, is it the people? Let me not go to Socrates. Let me quote from Jesus Christ. Forget Socrates. Honestly, can I tell you guys something? There is the mind of God and there is the mind of the world. There is the mind of numbers and it's the insight that comes from the presence of God. Hold on to divine insight and you will never fail. Men will hurt you. Systems will crush you. People will do things against you. People will take advantage of your goodness. But if you walk with insight, you will always be safe. If you walk with understanding, you will always be preserved. If you tarry in the knowledge of God, your power will always be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Indescribable is the way that those who carry the wisdom of God runs life. God is opening a chapter for his children to come into a way to operate and it's like the sons of Issachar. Sometimes we want to go by pride into, sometimes we want to be sons of Issachar in the church as well, right? In the church, some people want to become the sons of Issachar. Who doesn't want to, you know, yeah, like some people said, I, what's your role in the kingdom? Say, I'm a kingdom financier. Yeah, like God, if you can just give me 20 million, I will be giving one, one million every, every month. Who, who won't want, who won't want that uh, gift? Is there anybody here who doesn't want the gift of having millions so you can give anytime? So we all want that gift. Right? But God can see past what you're saying to what is in your heart. So God decides what he will give to you. No man takes the calling of the sons of Issachar on themselves. 
God chooses who the sons of Issachar are. God chooses those who he pours his grace upon. You cannot just elect yourself into God. It's actually about God's divine election and calling. And some of us who have been called sons of Issachar were running away from it. You know yourselves. I'm not looking up because if I look, some of you will know I'm talking about you. You call the son of Issachar, but you are trying to make yourself a tribe of Asher. You want to put yourself among the 50,000. God says you are Issachar. You are trying to make yourself Ephraim. You are trying to make yourself Zebulun. Yeah. You are from the minority tribe. The minority tribe of God. The ones who catch divine visions. The one who sit like Moses, Aaron, and Hall on the mountain. You are that one who receives divine insight for natural wars. There are some who must fight in the valley of life, but there are some who must lean into the wisdom of God to direct whole armies of God as to how they shall advance in the coming wars of this, of this time. There's a war coming. Every revelation I've received is a war. There's a war coming. There's a, there's a, there's a contest coming. There's a, there's a demand coming. And only the people who, who position themselves this hour will be able to stand. We need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God. We need the power of the divine. We need insight from heaven for this hour. This morning I got a text message from one of our sisters who's in London. And she said to me, I had a dream again. And there was war. And you were preparing the ground. And you're telling everybody, run this way, run this way. There's, there's a war coming. You're, you're tilling the ground. You're saying, let's get ready. Because this army is going to come. When the light comes in the morning, there will be an army. We must be ready. There's, there's, there's actually, I've gotten, Latin has given me that prophecy. Hadiza has given me that prophecy. They're all seeing things. Things like warfare coming. Right? There's, there's something coming. There's something, Pastor Nigel said it when he came to preach. He said, there's something coming. There's something coming. But God wants us to not enter into panic, but to enter into what? Inside the sons of Issachar dimension. The visions of his sons. Those who know him, who have revelation of what we should do. Those who have understanding, who have precise direction as to what the tribe ought to do at this time. Those who have knowledge of God. There was a battle in Amalek and all the people were just fighting in the valley. But there were some people who saw with the eyes of God that what was needed was the lifting of the rod. So it wasn't down to how strong they were in the valley. It wasn't down to how much power they had on their own. It wasn't down to how, how good they were. It wasn't down to how, how much they could shoot the arrow. It wasn't down to how much strategic they were. I've heard these things about strategy. But there's something bigger than strategy. I've heard this thing about intentionality. But there's something bigger than being intentional. It is abiding in the courts of the living God. It is staying with our God and knowing what he wants you to do. It is dwelling in his power and, and hugging his grace and reaching out for his embrace. That separates you between the 200 and the 40,000. Say amen. God doesn't want his children caught. The battle of life is not a flowery sitting on the fence kind of war. Being a son of Issachar is not about just sitting like an executive prophet somewhere and saying things. No. It's warfare. Your life, every one of the prophets in the Bible carried it. They carried a warfare. 
Jeremiah, he, he, God gave him a word and Jeremiah one day he said, God, why do you make me, why do you, why do, you do me like this, Lord? I, you, you asked me to just be speaking and speaking. Nobody's moving. One day, God told Ezekiel, lie on your side for two weeks. Then lie on the other side for two weeks. Like, what is that? Why are you making me to lie on one side for two weeks? I want to go up. I want to go. No, God says, no. You are a messenger in the message. Do you understand? Your life is the message. How many of you read the story of Hosea? God told him, go and marry a prostitute. Your life is the story of the tribe of Israel and me. Like God, like why? The Joma people call prostitute Akuna. You want me to marry Akuna? Like why? Why? Because it's not a walk in the park. God wants you to be an experiential minister. God wants you to be someone who tastes what he tastes. God wants you to be someone who had his mind. Something that the men of Issachar were just people who were politically astute. Something there were people who knew how to interpret current events to their own advantage. Others interpret the face. They were men of understanding to mean they were known for astronomy and physical science. Others say that the men of Issachar were men of wisdom and prudence. I say they were all of these things and much more. They had divine insight from the courts of God. There is a broadcast coming from heaven. <laughs> there is music flowing from the throne. There's a voice coming from the presence of God. And only those tuned in can hear. Are you tuned into the frequency of God? Are you tuned into the words coming from the presence of God? This is actually what God is saying at this time. Shantu saya kaboli verenoshta. Mendisa ikanostama. There will be those who have insight. There will be those who have power. That we be those who have the wisdom of God. That's our prayer. Let's pray together this morning. Just say, Lord, I want to have insight. I want to have wisdom. I want to know what it means. I want to have understanding. Lord, I have zeal for you, but I need understanding. I need understanding. I don't want to just have power. I don't want to just have power. I want to have you, oh God. I want to have you on the journey of my life. Say to God, speak out, speak out. This morning, say, Lord, lay your hands on me. Download your wisdom into me. Say to God, download your wisdom. Download your wisdom. Download your life upon me. In the name of Jesus, download your wisdom. Thank you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's round up here. This last scripture, and then we'll go. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Romans 10, 1 to 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Romans 10. Are you there? That they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are seeking to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. There is the righteousness of God. There is the righteousness of man. From instinct and from the fall, we begin to operate in some particular things. 
The overwhelming sense of powerlessness came upon Adam when he left the Garden of Eden. Do you understand? And from there, early man, all our Neerlanders, all our forefathers, all the ones, the homo sapiens, all the homo erectus, all the men who lived, all the generations of men began to understand something called fear. And fear was actually something that men wore when they confronted the problems of the earth. Like when they saw a war, when men saw uh, Ebola, when men saw something like that. Do you know, I remember when Ebola came to Nigeria, the whole of Lagos was empty. Because as if driving on the street will make you catch Ebola. Right. The whole of Lagos was empty for like two, three days. Everybody was quaking in fear. You understand? And then, when we, construct, when we confront natural disasters, for example, when you see the tsunami, that tsunami that hit Bande Aceh province in Indonesia, when you, when you, when you, when you hear about a, a kind of, the, that, that eliminated half a million people across the world, you understand? Fear comes upon you. The natural tragedies of the world make men to balk in fear. When Adam fell, he began to face life by himself. Since that time, since the time of the fall of Adam, man began to chase their own definition. Man began to create understanding for themselves. Remember the fall was about the eating of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Man began to define what fear looked like. So the first thing man did in Genesis chapter 3, when God came, Adam, where art thou? said, I heard your voice and I was afraid. God says, that was the first time fear was mentioned in the Bible. It was after the fall. When you fall, fear comes in. When you live in the fall, fear is normal. When are you most fearful? When your life is not together. So man lives in fears. We are born with many dreams. When our dreams explode, fear captures our hearts. When paradise is lost, fear captures our hearts. When a relationship ends, our tummy churns in fear. This was the story of the Israelites. They were working, but they were working by their own capacity. In this story, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the sects of Israel were working according to their own knowledge. And Paul himself was writing this, was the chief of them. Zeal without knowledge. They will preach, but no knowledge. They will declare, but no knowledge of God. No fellowship. No interaction with the Holy Spirit. Man began to define for himself what running after God looks like. Some of you think like you are the one coming to church. No, God is the one drawing you. God is the one talking at your heart. God is the one calling you. He's the one asking for your number. He's the one dialing you. He's the one giving you no rest until you stand up in the morning on Sunday and go somewhere. He's the one calling you. Why? Because he's prepared something for you. He's prepared fellowship for you. Don't just live in your own knowledge and dwell in your own understanding. Stepping into what God has in store for you. The sons of Israel were like this. They were trying to work out their own righteousness. They felt like, oh, I have to be ready before I come to God. I have to clean up the whole house. No, just 
come, just come before God. Say, Amen. You are the chosen ones. God wants you to enter in. God is giving you something new for everyone who God calls. He changes their spirit. So God wants you to come with a changed spirit. It's not just about zeal. It's about a different spirit. God will give you a pioneering spirit. You will always want to create something new. You will always want to build that which God has in mind. You will always want that holy partnership with the spirit of God. There is a cry inside your spirit. Why? Because you are the Issachar company. You are the tribe of Issachar. You belong to the ones who God is calling forward. There's always something making a demand inside of you for more. You are like the children of Israel, but you don't want to work out your zeal by yourself. It's not just about being zealous. It's actually about knowing the times and seasons as well. It's not just about having power to fight. It's also about discerning what the time is, what the calendar in heaven is. It's not just about being a Joshua in the valley. It's about being Moses on the mountain as well. It's about being the totality of what God wants to declare. God wants you together, whole, complete, powerful in Him. He wants to give you a spirit above Adam. He wants to give you a, a spirit above shame, above fear, above incapacity. He wants to give you something that is more than zeal. He wants to give you something that is more than yourself. God is rupturing your spirit this morning. If you're the person God is speaking to, I want you to close your eyes and declare, Lord, I'm coming out of fear. Lord, I'm coming out of incapacity. I will no more fear the war. I will no more fear the rumor. I will no more fear what man can do to me. I put myself in the rock. I set myself in the fountain. I will hear. I set myself in the coven of eagles. I sit in the high place with the most high where the rain of the spirit is falling upon me. I receive access into the heavenlies. My glory and the lifter of my head, I cry out to you. My God, I declare that I will belong to you. I speak, oh God, from the presence, the dwelling place of my God. I declare your life and power. I declare your kingdom in me. I declare your atmosphere. I declare new place. I declare rain. Rain upon me. Rain upon my spirit, man. I declare heavenly insight. I don't want to just have zeal. No, I want knowledge. Zeal with the knowledge of God. Zeal with the insight of heaven. Zeal with the wisdom of God. I want to be able to translate what you said over me into the world. I want to be able to translate your power into reality in my time, in my generation. Yes, Lord God. I want to join the company of those who know God, who have a pioneering spirit, who can create in the face of adversity, who are unbowed. I want to become those who, who know, who are known by God. I want to go to a broken land and see it made different. I want to come to a hurting people and tell them they can find healing. I want to become a world changer by the power of God. God, you're giving me a special grace. The idea that I can be unafraid. I will not live in fear because you are my Jehovah Nisi. I live in a world of competition and aspiration. And I constantly check to see if I'm on track. But that will no more be the defining power over me. I will walk in divine life. I will walk.
walking knowing that I'm in track with you. It doesn't matter what men think I'm off track or not. I am on track with you, oh God. You are taking me on a journey. You are breaking me out into a new place. I receive revelation of what you're doing. I receive insight into what you're saying, oh God. I am the Ezekiel company. I am those who by zeal, who are by the zeal of God, have knowledge. I add to my zeal knowledge. I add to my zeal insight. I add to my zeal power. I have power in the divine space. I have grace with God. I have understanding. The wisdom of God fills my mind. I know how to organize the affairs of my life and my business. Yes, my family is together. I reach into the media space. I reach into the movie industry. By the power of God, I'm going into government. I'm going into government and declaring the glory of God. I'm going into infrastructure. I'm going into power. I'm going into education. We're changing the health sector by the wisdom of God. We're going into every every spare man occupies. I'm receiving the download from heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. We have the power. We have the authority by the finger of God to plant God's kingdom and to do your will in all the earth. That's our heart cry. That's what we long for. To carry your zeal and to carry your knowledge. That's who you're making us to be. And we yield ourselves to you. You are Jehovah Nisi. I lift up your banner over us. I will drink of you. I will be in you. I will hear no more shame. I will lean no more on our intellect. But we lean to your power. That's our heart cry today. And we give ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 